Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on another episode of Titans of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the are, are the CEOs of, of three great companies in the virtual infrastructure space, virtual care space. Uh, we have the CEO of SteadyMD, the CEO of Healthy, and the CEO of Amwell. Super excited to have you all here. Uh, we'll, we'll kick things off, keep it nice, short and sweet, smooth, uh, starting with, uh, with, uh, with Guy Friedman. Hi, I'm Guy. I'm the, the CEO at SteadyMD and also the founder, co-founder. Great to have you here today, Guy. And now we have Erica over at Healthy. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having us today. My name is Erica. I am the co-founder and CEO of Healthy. And we have Roy. Great to see you, Roy. Good to see you again. Great to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm Roy. I'm CEO of Amwell. Um, just looking forward to the conversations. Yeah, last time I, I saw Roy was at uh, was at Vive in Miami, and I ran to the podcast booth dripping sweat. So that's uh, I'm not. I, I'm, it worked out. I'm cool. Now, I'm cool. You know, cool and, and dry now, which is great. Um, so so today today's real core topic is the basically the future of um, of infrastructure and virtual care and beyond. Uh, so I know that's really what we want to dive into. Uh, just so the audience knows how we do this format, it's a panel format. We'll kind of go down the list. Uh, for a question, everyone will, will add their two cents, and then we'll go back the opposite way uh, for everyone else to, to kind of hear uh, your thoughts, starting with, uh, you know, someone new. So let's start off with you, Guy. Would, you know, we'd love to dive into, so virtual care has moved beyond the video visit today. Um, you know, what do we mean when we talk about virtual care today through, through your eyes? Sure. Yeah, um, it's a great question. And uh... I actually think it's underreported, even though in our neck of the woods, in our industry, everyone knows all the companies, but I think it hasn't really hit the, the public uh, knowledge yet. So when we launched SteadyMD in uh, late 2016, we actually started out in virtual primary care. And that was sort of new. I mean, um, the pioneers here were Teladoc, Amwell, um, and a few other companies that were doing mostly, I think, uh, Roy, correct me if I'm wrong, but like urgent care, um, at the majority of the, of the volume. Um, since we launched, there's been an incredible amount of innovation around point solutions across every single condition modality from fertility, migraines, men's health, women's health, where you have a very specific workflow, which ends up uh, results to a clinician who is specifically trained on that condition or protocol. And that kind of concept has been, uh, there's been a massive explosion in that. That's really expanded the, um, the scope of what digital health is. Uh, and I think really expanded the market size. And, and that's where I think a lot of the growth is going to come from. Uh, you know, it's been driven by not only venture capital PE, but also a, uh, a new found, um, there's been a new embrace of all these tools from larger enterprise customers as well, where we see a lot of new deal flow from the giant titans of the, of the industry who are interested in exploring like all these new modalities and, and care models. So I think it's all been building up for the last five, six years where almost every single condition point solution um, is being attacked by really cool and innovative companies that are well-funded and uh, doing really interesting things. So we're, we're excited to ride the wave of SteadyMD as with uh, SteadyMD and help all these companies scale and grow and 
get that innovation into the hands of into the hands of patients. Thanks, Guy. Would would love your take now, Erica, on you know, uh, you you can also you can piggyback on on others' answers as well because I know a lot of what we'll all be saying here today. Um, parts of it will relate, parts of it will differ, but uh, would love your take on the uh, you know what do we mean when we talk about virtual care today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I echo a lot of what Guy just shared around the first wave of telehealth and telemedicine was around these one-time visits that were a one-to-one replacement of seeing a doctor or seeing a provider in person and merely doing that on a HIPAA-compliant FaceTime. We've now entered this next phase of what telehealth and digital health can really offer. And what we see at Healthy is that those are the longitudinal experiences that our organizations are building and powering, whereby there is so much async care and support that happens in between and on top of the actual video visit itself. And that can take shape in health coaching, in you know longitudinal programs, in care delivery that is really centered around bite-sized content, in webinars and group group programs. And there's so many different ways that our organizations are building and driving really innovative experiences. And that's going to lead to better healthcare outcomes in the long term, because we are meeting patients when they need their healthcare experiences. And that goes so far beyond the one-time visit with a physician to receive a diagnosis or to have a session. And that's what's really exciting about this next wave of, of virtual care. Thank you, Erica. And last but not least, Roy, would love to hear your thoughts as well. So, you know, obviously I echo what was said, but um, I think the biggest distinction I would make is that, you know, for the good number of years since we started and, and even during COVID, most of everybody thought of virtual visit or virtual care as a way to change where care happens. Things that you used to do in a building where usually there was a clinician, you checked in and saw them, can now be done on your phone. I'm trivializing it a little bit, but roughly that was the value of virtual care or telehealth. And if you think about it, definitely adds convenience, definitely adds, you know, obviously a solution for, for a COVID reality and everything else, but really doesn't doesn't change the, the way care is, is, is rendered or the distribution of care or anything else. I think what we're seeing now is that people are beginning to understand that the arrival of care over technology allows us not to do the office visit on the phone, but rather to completely reimagine how those services surround patients, how healthcare becomes a much more proximal kind of companion to patients inside their reality, and also helps us with rethinking the availability of services in, you know, around the country, how frequently we interact with a cancer patient at home, how clinicians can interact with one another to get guidance on care that maybe they're not familiar with, primary versus specialty and so on. It, it changes the balance of, you know, really some of the fundamentals of healthcare between payers and provider organization. Guy, you talked about virtual primary care, which is an earthquake, right? I mean, it's still in its infancy, but if you think about it, what it essentially means is that primary care is going to be rendered by the payers. That's 
that's an explosive statement. So I think maybe to kind of cut it short, I would say that the market is beginning to understand that the distribution of its services over technology is going to shake it, just like Amazon completely changed retail, not only by saying that, oh, you could buy it also on Amazon. The whole fabric of this industry is changing because of virtual care. Thanks, Roy. We'll we'll, uh, we'll kick it over to you to start off this uh, kind of next topic. And uh, this is really around, give us like a snapshot of, from your point of view, what infrastructure's role in, let's focus in on virtual care, but you can also mention in healthcare today is, um, would really love to hear that from you. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the other, and maybe the analogy of Amazon is not a bad one. You know, a lot of people think of Amazon as the store that you can buy stuff and all of that kind of stuff. The truth is that Amazon is a logistics company, right? I mean, what it does is it distributes inventory from where it gets generated, the original manufacturers or owners or whatever it is, into the hands of people that want to consume it. There's very few products on Amazon that are created by Amazon itself. One of the, you know, one of the humbling understandings is that Amazon is not a manufacturer and that the traditional manufacturers of products need to be need to continue to have their brand. People like to buy this versus that. In healthcare, the analogy is that even a lot, even though a lot of people thought that virtual care can create kind of a shadow organization, especially with urgent care, we were part of this, you know, of this change. The reality is that virtual has to support the distribution of traditional healthcare using the traditional you know, payment models, abiding by the rules, the federal rules and the state rules on, on the quality of care and Medicare and Medicaid and all of that kind of stuff. That's much harder to do because that means that you have to plug into the backbone of those traditional organizations. You have to plug into claim system. You have to plug into EHRs. You have to plug into, into scheduling systems and pharmacy dispensation and fulfillment systems. You have to plug into into models of continued care you need to you need to drive data that's you know coming from traditional devices and there's, there's 50 million examples but the bottom line is that unless we are able to digitize traditional care as an infrastructure for its distribution over technology then we're just a you know a shiny object we're not going to change anything Thanks, Roy. And you actually brought up something that I was going to touch base on shortly. So I'm, I'm really glad you did because this that was kind of a two-parter that we broke into one. Um, you really kind of uh, kind of stated the need to integrate virtual care with the other traditional workflows and systems, um, which which is so important for for you know this this area of healthcare to continue to grow. Uh, Erica would love your thoughts on this as well, um, and and maybe also tack in the need for. Uh, EHR integration along with what Roy said, um, you know, to integrate virtual care and traditional workflows. Um. Absolutely. I think the last generation of healthcare technology platforms, I look at companies like Epic and Cerner and Athena Health, they really focused on building walls and not bridges when it came to data transfer across systems, interoperability, and they intentionally make it hard to pull data out of their systems as part of their competitive moat. 
I'd say that the three of us here in our companies and our philosophies are very well aligned in saying we are ushering in this next generation of how healthcare can and will should be delivered, but we are here to build bridges with each other and with every other next-gen API-first technology platform infrastructure solution because that is how overall we can create a better healthcare experience um, for those that need healthcare. And, and what's interesting is that we're all taking, you know, different uh, pieces of that. And because, because of that approach, we are all going to be stronger together. Um, what I'd say is that at Healthy, what we see is we're working with a lot of next generation healthcare tech companies and, and you know, companies like Noom and Omada, they had to build infrastructure in-house, EMR, scheduling, um, engagement suite, because the industry wasn't ready enough or mature enough for companies like Healthy and SteadyMD to really exist and serve as that backbone to say, hey, use our platform. We've got it set up for you. And as a result, you can then focus on what makes you unique and special, clinical care, clinical outcomes, because we have the underlying rails for you. And so what we've seen even the past two years, and COVID really accelerated this trend, it's, it's long overdue in healthcare overall, um, is that you have consumers changing their expectations of what it means to experience healthcare. And as a result, this new tide, and we see that reflected in venture investments of companies emerging that are looking for these beautiful experiences, which has given rise to infrastructure companies uh, to meet that demand. Thanks, Erica. Yeah, and, and Guy, would love your, before we go on to kind of our next topic, would love to hear your thoughts on, on that topic as well. Sure, yeah, I mean, I'll, I can touch on something actually unique to what uh, Rowan and Erica said. Um, when I think of infrastructure, like where we live is a, is a clinician network, like an on-demand 50 state clinician network you can plug your digital health experience into to increase your capacity. And so I think like as a, as a building block within the industry, um, that's going to become more and more important, the more and more complex, all these awesome companies are, uh, you know, are, are working, the more complex the, the care models and the technology and all the stuff Erica and Roy are working on the more there's going to be a need to integrate into a really streamlined workflow engine so that you can take a clinician who's heavily licensed or a thousand clinicians that can access that visit, train them on that protocol and have them take that visit in real time. That is not a um, trivial thing to do within digital health, obviously with the state by state regulatory environment and the ability to like recruit, manage and train a full clinician workforce. So I think like you can increase capacity in different ways. You can create a really streamlined integration to an EMR so that the visit is shorter. You can take a single clinician and increase the capacity of the hour that they're spending on digital health by either bundling them across different types of appointments, licensing them, which is, you know, Jared, that's your, <laughs> that's your expertise. And, um, Stitching that all together, I think, is all the yeah all these great infrastructure companies um, that are going to help enable like the, the companies to focus exactly what Erica said. Focus on what you're great at, coming up with a great patient experience, working with your customers, uh, whether it's a payer, provider, system, or consumer, to create a great experience there, and then integrate that into these infrastructure companies that will help you basically scale and grow. Um, 
Uh, Roy was using it almost the fulfillment center example for Amazon, but I think of it more like AWS where companies can have a lever they can integrate into to get capacity. So it's a, um, it's a super exciting time for digital health as all these companies continue to mature and grow. Uh, it, it creates this, uh, it's almost hard to imagine them growing without infrastructure partners because each company would have to individually create that on their own. It'd be just a huge investment and doesn't make sense. So I think, um, yeah, a lot, it's the, the uh, infrastructure's role is basically, it's not gonna scale without great infrastructure companies, the whole industry. Thanks, Guy. We'll, we'll keep it on, on to you for a second here. Um, so, you know, that being said, how, how can we ensure a, a seamless care experience as patients like transition out of the hospital or, uh, you know, and into their home, um, you know, it, through, through your lens? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's around continuity. Um, I think there's a, a lot of drop off there in the traditional brick and mortar model. Um, it, I, I go back to this, something very simple, uh, like which we, which we did in the virtual primary care space like six years ago, which is just chat, like text chat. It's like a very simple concept, but imagine just adding that to a follow-up after you, after you leave the hospital or an in-person, any in-person visit. Um, obviously, there's the payment model, there's the technology, there's the paying the clinicians to serve that, but solving all those issues that creates a lot of capacity within the industry and answers questions more quickly um, and probably avoids a lot of follow-up visits and appointments. That's just a small example I always go to where if you layer that into the patient experience, like asynchronous text chat in between appointments, it's a, it's already a huge unlock, something as simple as that. And we saw it, we saw it firsthand and we continue to see it with our clients today. So I think, um, that, that to me, uh, there's so many opportunities for remote patient monitoring, uh, asynchronous, like check-ins in between appointments, either automated or with a clinician or a support staff. Um, I think there's going to be a ton of innovation there moving forward. Thanks guy. Erica, on to you. Yeah, what, what Guy mentioned around continuity of care is the name of the game. I think that, unfortunately, we have viewed hospitals and hospital visits as the entry point into the healthcare system, whereas hospitals, in my opinion, are just you go in for the one procedure, and then that's kind of it. We're building out healthcare experiences that, for most people and most events, have nothing to do with a hospital. And so as a result, for example, if I take the case of a woman's health organization, you know, if you're pregnant, you have your prenatal um, lactation consultant, doula, uh, mental health, nutritional care, coaching programs leading up to the actual delivery, you go in for ultrasounds once every two months, have the baby, the day-to-day experiences are happening outside of the hospital And that's what's going to take up more of the mind share and wallet of a woman going through that experience. And the hospital is just the one-time episodic event that needs to happen. And so I almost view it as like, let's flip the way we use hospitals in our healthcare system. More and more of healthcare is going to happen outside of the hospital and outside of a hospital-led system. And as a result, you know, more of the care is inherently going to happen at home because that's where you get the actual care that you need. 
Thanks, Erica. And uh, on to you, Roy. Yeah, I mean, I think we all we all agree that care is going to move away from the very expensive care settings just because the dollar amount is unsustainable. We know the LOS sticker price. I think that the challenge is we talk about, oh, everything's going to be virtual and people are going to be treated you know, at home and it's so much easier. We can do it much more frequently. We just have to remember that there's not enough clinicians to go around and those that operate are exhausted and are getting burnt out and are leaving the profession. And one of the challenges in moving into a digital world is the expectation that everything, because it flows in speeds of electrons, that everything is going to be so much more available and free flowing and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's just not going to happen because the supply is stretched thin and, and, and made worse by, you know, things like state licensure and, and, and credentialing and everything else that limits the availability of clinicians who are not in front of a patient, could treat someone, but they can't because the rule says they can't. We have to think about this transition into a world I'd rather think about it as a transition into a, a digital healthcare than virtual healthcare, because virtual healthcare is, for the most part, telehealth, synchronous or asynchronous interaction with clinicians. Digital is a whole other ballgame, and we have an opportunity because people are more receptive to the notion that some of their healthcare is going to happen over technology. The the thing that's going to move the needle, and I'm already over telehealth, we're, we're moving to, to the next generation in front of that, is automation, which has transformed every other industry, but of course has a terrible visceral connotation in healthcare because who wants to be treated by a bot, right? Nobody wants to be treated by a bot. And actually there was a lot of disservice by symptom checkers and those out there because they've they've completely skewed our understanding of what technology and automation can do there is a role for smart technology to surround patients in their home environment be much more available much more attentive ask questions regularly in the morning in the evening did you take your meds how are you feeling did you have any side effects you know did you get out of bed today you know what did you eat well how's the headache and so on and so forth interact and potentially also interact with devices next to the bedside and everything else, give that patient that companionship through technology, but have the ability to escalate, not say, uh-oh, things look bad, you're on your own, pal, you know, now you figure out what to do, but rather be interconnected because it's an infrastructure, interconnected into levels of escalation of care that maybe the first thing that's going to happen is that the doctor's going to show up on your phone, say, hey, looks like you're not doing well. And maybe that's going to level into a specialist that's going to show up, and that's going to automatically book an appointment in the facility next to where you live because you really need to be seen physically. Unless we start thinking about this new world of healthcare as a balancing act between physical care, digital care, and automated care, I don't think we're going to move the needle anywhere near as much as we can literally over the next couple of years. Thanks, Roy. Nicely said. Um, last last topic uh, for me that I want to kind of wrap up on is the, the main topic that we kind of started out with today, the, the main topic of the episode. And would love to start with you, Roy, to get your take on what the future of infrastructure and virtual care looks like through your lens 
and maybe identify some blockers or what needs to change in order for that vision to happen? So I think the, the, the infrastructure in virtual care is about logistics. It's not about video conferencing as much as I like it. It's not about even data interfaces, which, you know, need to be there and be better. And some of them are, you know, whatever, getting better, both with the EHRs and some of the federal rules kicking in October and everything else. It's really not about these. I think it's all going to be about the logistical distribution of clinician time and understanding how availability of clinical services can be reimagined using technology, the moving away from the notion that clinicians live in a world of banks of appointments, and that's how they interface with the world, and move into a world that is much more opportunistic in real time to understand, oh, that visit is over, we can squeeze a patient from a queue somewhere to see that clinician and move things around. That, that dynamic view of the availability of clinical services is the name of the game. And I think that would be the role of infrastructure. The barriers, you know, if you ask, are, are, are pretty obvious. You know, imagine that Amazon shipments would stop at the state line or only going to be available to a subset of the population. You know, you log in and say, hey, we're not serving you, that kind of stuff. This is the reality that we currently have in healthcare. It's well-intended. It's driven for a world where services were physical. But unless credentialing changes, state licensure changes, and frankly, I would say a little bit of ego, of protective, you know, guild geographical protective actions that, that are going on in healthcare, unless these things are being removed, uh, you know, the infrastructure will not come to life. But I'm, I'm actually more optimistic now than I was even a year ago that people get it and are making the, the necessary changes. Thanks so much, Roy. On to you, Erica. I, I, I echo what Roy shared around feeling really optimistic and excited about the future of infrastructure and virtual care. We're riding this momentum of a post-COVID world where even legacy and, and healthcare incumbent institutions are saying, we succeeded during COVID. We figured out how to move towards telehealth and overnight transition the way we operate. How do we then build on this momentum for years and years to come? And hearing, you know, healthcare incumbents really talk and feel that way sets the foundation for where we see in Healthy's world, next-gen digital healthcare companies also sharing and riding in that momentum. Um, so the way I see that the future of infrastructure is that companies like Healthy are, are able to meet the need of digital health organizations that are building and innovating quickly in order to just create these better healthcare experiences that consumers are demanding and expect to receive and should receive. I think on top of the credentialing and state licensure challenges that Roy alluded to, um, what needs to change is the, the notion that, you know, we only bill for certain types of care. I think you need to bill for health coaching, for nursing, for psychiatry at better and higher rates um, in order to really meet the needs of, and, and acknowledge that health goes, healthcare goes so far beyond just medical care, um, because that then sets a foundation for social determinants of health and different ways of providing care that goes beyond physician-led care. 
Thanks, Erica. Last but not least, on to you, Guy. I would love to hear your closing those, thoughts. Those were really good answers. Yeah, I think um, echoing what both both of you said, uh, changing like the whole scope of what it means to be a clinician. So I think like traditionally, uh, most clinicians love what they do care wise, but they don't love administration, billing, coding, and all the like surrounding tasks that come with caring for a patient. And what an opportunity for all of us, you know, listening as well as the, the people here to kind of reinvent what it means to be a clinician, um, like end to end, since we're transitioning from in-person care to digital care. And as the share of digital care continues to increase as a share of overall care in the market, we have a really big opportunity in the industry to kind of reinvent what it means to be a clinician and kind of uh, break down the the, uh, a lot of the, the, the things that clinicians really don't like and, um, and that gets in the way of caring for patients. So I think that that might be like the biggest challenge because I think, I don't know if Roy was getting at this, but we can all do like an optimization problem. Take an hour of a clinician's time and just like jam it. <laughs> and with perfect optimization, eventually you have, a, it's a formula, but you have to take into account that that's a, practitioner on the other end of these visits that like if you just if you just treat them like a cog in a machine they're not going to provide great care and also you're just taking a lot of the bad habits from the brick and mortar world and transitioning it to digital health so i think that's one of the biggest um, challenges moving forward is not completely treating the clinicians like they're just these cogs in a wheel and really respecting their autonomy and build trust there because it's you're not just taking trust from the brick and mortar world and translating digitally. You really have to, you really have to work hard to, to transition the whole ecosystem and space to have more of that culture. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges we're going to have as a, a industry moving forward. Um, and we pay a lot of attention to that steady MD and try, try and live those values. So, uh, but it's, it's not easy. Um, and it's, but it's a challenge worth pursuing so that if I could add to the, add to the, the two, the, the, uh, the narratives that the two other folks said, uh, that would be it. Thanks guy. And, and I want to, you know, thank you all again for, for joining uh, me on the Titans of healthcare podcast. It was great to hear your thoughts on such an important issue, uh, you know, both now and we know will be an important topic, uh, of conversation over the next several years, right. And beyond. Um, so yeah, really appreciate having all of you on here and can't wait to already have all of you back on at some point as well. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Jared. It was great. Thanks, Jared.